Last September, health authorities in my area were encouraging people to stay in their homes as much as possible because the air outside was so dangerous. But this wasn't because a novel airborne virus was spreading largely unchecked in the community. It was because smoke from two nearby wildfires was so thick that it posed a significant health risk. For days, a foggy orange cloud replaced Colorado's usually blue skies. Birds and squirrels remained quiet like they do during an eclipse, and ash blanketed homes and cars. I was training for a marathon at the time, having to replace my outdoor running with the loathsome thing we euphemistically call running on a treadmill. I spent hours on the treadmill, watching YouTube videos of my favorite trail runners gallop through mountain meadows, streams, and ridges, longing for the day I would return to my own beloved trails. But in my heart, I knew some of those trails were on fire. Some may never be reopened. And while I felt very sorry for myself, I knew some were suffering much more than a loss of access to outdoor recreation. Some lost homes, livestock, pets, and even family members. Eventually, these two fires, the East Troublesome and the Cameron Peak, would become the two largest wildfires in Colorado history, and they burned simultaneously. It was an unprecedented tragedy for the Northern Front Range. When I heard about the fire at Tilt, I had a similar feeling to the one I felt on my treadmill that fall. Another blaze, more loss of property, physical and emotional devastation, and a sense that something was definitely wrong. I suppose if I were to use one word to sum up 2020, the word fire would probably be it. We saw fires burn in cities across the country, sparked by racial injustice and police violence. We saw wildfires burn across much of the West, and my little church conference saw a fire burn at one of our most beloved passion ministries, the Taos Initiative for Life Together. That Christmas, I noticed an interesting phenomenon in the retellings of Jesus' birth. In two of the accounts, the birth of Jesus is announced by fires. In one, shepherds are told of the birth of Jesus by angels, or seraphim, which in Hebrew literally translates to the burning ones. In another account, Eastern astronomers follow a star, a burning sphere of hydrogen to pay homage to the young Jesus. In both accounts, fire heralded a new beginning, a new hope, a new chance to build the beloved community. Listening to the story of the Watershed Way, I can't help but feel that this is how its adherents would encourage us to look at such, such devastation and heartbreak. Might we see these fires as indication that we have not kept our most sacred vows, or perhaps that our sacred vows help us to see possibility in the midst of devastation? In the last episode of the Path to Restoration podcast, we ask these kinds of questions as Todd and Rhino recount the combined sense of sorrow and hope they felt at the fire at Tilt. If you're joining us for the first time, my name is Zach Martinez, and for the past nine weeks, we've been exploring the theme of restoration through the lens of the watershed way, which, as Rhino has said, is a shared life way across diverse peoples that seeks to build right relationships by looking for creative solutions to complex problems. Like what we, what we do with our plastic waste, 
and how we eat in ways that honor land and people. So then, what should we do when it all goes up in flames? Well, we'll find out on this episode of the Path to Restoration podcast. So first off, I want to let our listeners in on a little secret, which is that we had another working title for this podcast, and that title was Suffering and Other Awesome Experiences. <laughs> I like that one. Jolly like it is. Right? right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. A minister friend of mine here in Taos a few years ago told me a powerful thing. She said, remember, Todd. Whenever you think you have something important for people to hear, hmm. remember that 90% of your audience is deeply grieving about something even more important. Hmm. Probably more like 99% these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. exactly. Yeah. yeah. At times, like this past year, I'm guessing that almost everyone has felt more grieving and more loss or pain or confusion or despair because of all the disruption and isolation that we've ex- experienced. But it's not like suffering and disruption is new. <laughs> right. mm. I mean, humans have been coping and grieving and hurting and suffering since the human race began. Yeah, I, I just think this the disruption of this last year was a new experience for me. Um, and a new experience for a lot of people who have gotten used to this modern, privileged American life. Mm. You know, we're just, we've gotten so used to being comfortable and control all the time. Like, I think this is the first time I've ever been afraid this past year during COVID, that I've actually really been afraid. Um, it's like, I remember the first time I came across a COVID testing site and the, these people in white hazmat suits and the white tents and the car lines and uh, people there in military fatigues because the National Guard was running it. And mm. I just remember this sense of losing control and being uncomfortable and I just don't I don't know I think it was the first time I've I've ever been afraid so I feel like it's a little bit different for me at least both fear and then denial like I often would think wait is this a science fiction movie right is this this a Stephen King novel yeah (laughs) you know but yeah last year was really it was a big hit for me after living a stable existence most of my life Mm -hmm. there have been hiccups I got divorced uh, you know different economic threats but but last year, I, I got a double whammy, a, a double dose of disruption in my mm-hmm. life. Right. You know, that's the truth. You know, life gave you a one-two punch, brother. Right. <laughs> uh, boom, boom. Right. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like about as good a lead-in as any. Um, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Todd, since this podcast is entitled After Disruption, Restoration... Wait, it's not called Suffering and Other Awesome Experiences? <laughs> <laughs> we might have given it a subtitle by now, but <laughs> but I want to read an article that you wrote, yeah, or read from an article that you wrote last year. Hmm. One week after someone shot through your window and then started a blaze that destroyed a good chunk of your house, you wrote this. I am utterly shattered right now. Broken like the window in my house that was shattered by a gunman's bullet this week. I'm burnt right now. Devastated. 
burnt like the blackened corner of our house where that same man started a white-hot blaze that blew out windows and choked our entire house with smoke and soot. I'm overwhelmed by grief, and I'm overwhelmed by sadness and rage at the man who was so tortured that he wanted to torture us, so destroyed that he wanted to destroy my family's happiness. I'm overwhelmed by grief and rage, but I'm overwhelmed by love, too, and support. I feel almost physically held by far-off friends. I feel stitched together and fueled by love and prayers. I feel like I'm experiencing my funeral while I'm still alive. Receiving the love we have given out returned tenfold. Hmm. I, I really love it if you could share more a little bit about that. The first thing that comes right away to mind is right now when you and Randy were fixing my fence. Do you remember that? Yep, I remember that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You guys might have thought it was a little thing, but but Peg and I were shattered. Zach, we this was the story I'm trying to remember here. That it was the morning after the fire, and Peg and I had returned to our home for the first time to see the devastation. Hmm. And we just, just the smoke smell was overwhelming. And we mm -hmm. just couldn't even get anywhere near our kitchen. And and we were just stunned sitting there in our backyard, devastated, really having no idea what to do next and, and worried. And then we look up and, and here's Rhino and our friend Randy, Randy Martinez, just quietly fixing our fence. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know they'd arrived. The fire department had knocked down a section of our fence to get to the fire and and peg and i especially peg we were worried about our dogs getting loose in traffic hmm. there was like a 20 foot wide hole in our fence right hmm. where cars were driving and we look up and and these two friends were were already there anticipating our needs and just taking care of business right right you know it had to get done you know and that's what we do that, that's <laughs> see what i mean like this this is what i'm talking about it i just felt held Mm. It, even when I felt broken myself, I felt held. Yeah. Probably a lot of us, when we experience the hardship of this year, have felt that mix of grief and sadness mixed with love and support. I sure have. But Todd, you, you also write about another feeling that I'm fascinated about. Um, just a week after the fire, you say you felt a defiant hope. Mm. Oh, yeah, that, that that came so strong and so fast. It felt like I didn't deserve it. I, I was like, what's the strange feeling? Where did this energy come from? I, I don't know if I can explain it, Zach. It felt really weird and unexpected. But I was like, how dare I imagine a new world mm. wanting to rebuild from the ashes when the ashes aren't even cold? Like, how dare I was, was sort of the strange feeling. But it, it was the strength of the defiance, the, the strength of the hope that really surprised me. Mm. Mm. So, you know, like anyone, you gave a sermon about it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I guess I'm like Woody Allen needing to process it as I go or something. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah it, well, I think when why I wrote a sermon about it, because I realized that what I'm feeling wasn't just me. It wasn't mm. just a Todd thing. It was an archetypal thing. That I was feeling this way because that's what humans throughout history have been hardwired to do. Hmm. 
I, I really was fascinated. Like, what's that about? That even in suffering, in fact, maybe because of our suffering, we imagine a better life. Hmm. We imagine a better world, an ideal society. Like, especially in the Western Jewish and Christian tradition, whether they call it the peaceful kingdom or shalom or the beloved community, humans have been dreaming about it and putting our lives on the line for it for like millennia. Hmm. Jesus, Gandhi, we've heard of them, but Joan of Arc, base communities in Latin America, Stephen Biko, Harriet Tubman, MLK, you name it. Like, we, they've been dreaming it. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You know, we're stuck. When we're stuck deep in suffering, we humans need to dream of a better life. Hmm. You know, when I be that. It sounds like you're maybe even talking about from a personal experience right now. Well, it was deep in despair when I decided to change my life for the better. Hmm. Yeah, that needs right? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, why don't you tell me more about that? You know, when I was first sent to the joint, I have to admit, I was scared. <laughs> you know, I remember saying to myself, well, Rhino, you've hit the big time now. And now there's no turning back. You know, looking at 26 years, the third strike, and I asked myself this, and is this the kind of life I want? You know, mm. waiting in county jail to be sent to Los Dunas, you know, I asked myself, where, where is this all going to go? You know, mm. what, how is this going to be my lifestyle? 26 years. 26 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I started attending a, a prison ministries. You know, I started going with, with guys that went to church, you know, and, and really had good, strong faith, hmm. you know, and uh, my cellmate died from an overdose. Hmm. And after the investigation by the Department of Corrections, you know, and them wanting to charge me with another felony, you know, I asked God to help me, you know, to get me home to my hmm. familia, say, hmm. dreaming of something else, right? Yeah. You know, I remember coming home and not even my own family recognized me. You know, I had, I had a gastric bypass. I had lost 235 pounds. You know, and I was healthier than a horse, mm. you know, so I started abiding by all my recommendations by the parole board. <laughs> Who is that guy? <laughs> right? I started doing my community service work, you know, and then I started doing service work, you know, and then I, I started having these dreams, and, and then I wanted a goal, you know, and that's what drives mm. me to make a place for others to heal, mm. you know, la cultura cura, mm. you know, praying to the land and to the water, and to have that connectedness back to where I grew up where I was born and raised, mm. you know, and then I found common allies, you know, that were working towards good things and the same goals, you mm. know, so I took the risk to cross cultures mm -hmm. and, you know, and really believing that my neighbor is my neighbor mm -hmm. and, you know, to do unto those downstream as you would have those upstream do unto you, you know, and I believe that in the midst of a super hard circumstances, mm. you know, we humans, are always devoting our lives to making a better world. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I see what you mean. Both this personal story like yours, but also this these collective visions that we've had for our larger society. We can probably think of some of the more famous visions that we've had in human history, like black and white children playing together, or the Freedom Railroad, or uh, like a lion laying down with a lamb, or land flowing with milk and honey daily bread for all, um, a chicken in every pot. We humans in this Western world, we've been pushing for this peaceable kingdom for, for ages. Yeah, and pushing, like, that's a good word. Like, because we, we try to reach it. We feel it maybe for a moment, but then it slips away. Mm. So we try again. Mm. Like, that's what I mean about the DNA part. Like, why do we keep trying? You know, 
the ancient Greeks had that story, Sisyphus, the Greek myth, where he just keeps pushing the boulder up the mountain. He knows it's going to roll all the way back down again, time and time again, but he keeps doing it. It's almost a curse and a blessing. Why do we keep beating our head against a wall? Why do we keep dreaming of an ideal world, even though we keep failing? Hmm. I wonder, it feels like it's in our spiritual DNA as humans. Hmm. That's interesting. I love, I don't know if you read Albert Camus' take on Sisyphus, but his conclusion is we have to admit, admit we have to imagine Sisyphus happy because this right. is our because his journey is our journey. We continue to sort of like roll that's this rock up the hill. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, although we haven't always done it so well, it is supposed to be in the DNA of Christians. Um, right, right. <laughs> Jesus kept encouraging people to live into what he called the kingdom of God. Yeah. He had to keep trying. And I don't know, kingdom is loaded. I don't mean to alienate our listeners. Mm. That term may be better translated as God's blueprint. Mm. So instead of just a kingdom, a hierarchy, a patriarchal, Jesus was focused on establishing God's blueprint. Mm. Like a, It's architectural sounding, but it's a template that shows the way we're supposed to live together, right? Yeah. As, as God's people, the desire to live well together, this is in our bones. Mm. It's mm. a yearning for the way that we should live. The way we could live, it, it seems to be like in our blood, whether mm. you call it the kingdom of God or the beloved community or the peaceable kingdom. Mm. So, so this conversation is is bringing out the scripture geek in me. Um, <laughs> I'm a pastor, after all, and I've, I've, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of, of withholding, jumping in too much throughout the podcast, but I'm going to indulge just for a second. Uh, so get into it, to biblical for just just a second. <laughs> So in your article, Todd, you brought up something that I love. You said that the ancient Hebrew prophets had their own vision for how we should live together. And they imagined that each person would be able to sit under their own vine and fig tree. Mm, I love that. Yeah. yeah, I do too. And I'm wondering if for our listeners, if this image of a vine and a fig tree, if it really holds any meaning. Hmm. I wonder too. Yeah, I didn't. It didn't mean anything before, when I was growing up. My 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 didn't. My tradition didn't tell me about it hmm. lately. Yeah, me either. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so in in seminary, I learned that this prophetic tradition runs really deep, uh, both as a reality and as a metaphor. For the ancient Hebrews, it was both a symbol and a reality. Mm-hmm. It was a sign that the peaceable kingdom was here now on and on earth. Yeah, and it, yeah, a bunch of the prophets used that image. It's it's yeah. like a long legacy through the Old Testament. Definitely, definitely. Um, and so one of the one of the places where this image is most visible is in Micah, and in the opening chapters of the book, this prophet paints this wonderful image of the peaceable kingdom where every person will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and they will live without fear or want. And so 2,700 years ago, Micah envisioned a time when disputes between strong nations would be settled and the time of violence would be over. So this is what he says. He says, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation and they will train for war no more. It's beautiful. 
but it's pretty big picture about like, nations and nation wars nation. and systems. But then Micah gets personal and specific. He gets specific to each household. He says, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. Mm. Yeah, it's funny how that first part is really familiar to a lot of us, the nation and beating swords into plowshares. But I don't think I would have memorized the second part about mm. the components of that peaceful kingdom, that everyone gets to sit under their own vine tree, own vine and fig, and no one will make them afraid. Right? Mm. I know one will come afraid. I like that. Mm. Each familia has their own little place to tend, and everyone can mm. get along. Mm. Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned, this image of vine and fig runs pretty deep, and it's not just in Micah, but also among all the other prophets who kept calling Israel back to God's ways, back to the way we should live. The vine and the fig image represents God's blueprint, like you said, with Richard Rohr. It's woven through the Old Testament. I just never really noticed it before. Mm, yeah, for the sermon I wrote last year, and I hadn't noticed it until later, until that time either. I, I dug in and I found that Isaiah, he speaks of it too, but he goes one step further. In Isaiah 36, he says, Then every one of you will eat from his own vine and his own fig tree and drink water from his own cistern. Mm. So now we've got watering and self-sustainability and not needing to depend upon city or industrial water. That's heaven to him. Mm. Yeah. It, kind of, it almost reminds me of the Esekias we were talking about, this sort of ancient tradition of shared water and being sufficient, having sufficient water for our crops. Well, then, so then, like, in the book of Isaiah, God speaks through this prophet and envisions a day when greed and war and sin are all finally removed. And again, he starts global and then gets specific and personal. On that day, declares the Lord, each of you will invite your neighbors to sit under their vine and under their fig tree. That's in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 10. So what's cool about this is now the vision has moved from one direction, individual, to the communal. You are the agents of this mission. You will care for your neighbors and make sure that they are safe under their vine and under their fig tree. Mm-hmm. And so this, and what's cool about this is it wasn't just an impossible utopian vision. Some vision of heaven out elsewhere, right? No, it was something that, that I think the prophets felt was attainable. Or they, were, they may have even been referring back to a time when this was the reality they experienced. You know, mm-hmm. all of these prophets that we've talked about are chronologically speaking, after the stories that are recounted in the books of First Kings. And First Kings tells us that it actually happened. Mm. The author reports that under, their good, under the good leadership, that for, for a healthy span of time, two nation states experienced this peaceable kingdom. This is what takes place. This is what's uh, written down in First Kings chapter 4. This, this, this book says, Judah and Israel lived safely. From Dan to Beersheba, each family under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Mm, Like a news report. Yeah. (laughs) And so this vision was both shared and it was also possible. I think it's the point of, of recounting this is that like this vision that we're all talking about, we remember it because it happened. Mm. And so 
it was totally idealistic, but it seems absolutely attainable. In fact, it was attained for a time under good leadership and active citizenship. It was attained in a specific bioregion from Dan to Beersheba. It was a sign of simplicity and community that also emphasized self-sustainability. Mm-hmm. I love dusting off stuff. Good, good job, biblical geek. Nice job bringing us down this path. <laughs> it, like, I, I, it's sad that that probably modern day Christianity has done such a poor job of uh, such a good job of separating spirituality from justice. Hmm. You yeah, know, and sure. I, this is a vision of vine and fig because it feels like it's. It's the very spirit-led, place-based, earth-honoring, people-dignifying, justice-creating, despair-crushing kind of path mm. that we want to follow today. Yeah, Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like an antidote to a sick society we are a part of Ooh. too often. Oh, preach it, man. <laughs> hyper-consumption, hyper-individualism, an unrooted, divided life that we so often experience today. You know, it's like we're divorced from each other, mm-hmm. from God. From the land. Yeah, we call it the good life. <laughs> right? You know, the vine and fig vision sounds like a prescription to all our social ills. Mm, yeah. It's a vision of how to be in this world together. Mm, mm. And that's the key, the together. It's not just how to be in this world with my own vine and fig, but I'm taking care and making sure of his own vine and fig and her own vine and fig. Mm, so right? it, ends up, it ends up being communion, right? But yep. real communion, way beyond wafers or grape juice or church walls. It's like communion with the earth and with each other mm. getting back from that divorce from, you, brother. you know yeah it's not any i got mine i hope you get yours idea hmm. but it's a mandate to take an active stake in a reality where everyone in the region not only has enoughness but actually has a sustainable and regenerating source of enoughness mm. right a, a plant a vine a water cistern they keep getting refilled So everyone has a little spot to root and grow and call their own and can live unafraid. Yes, it's personal communion, but it's also public community organized. Yeah, yeah. The way you like pull those together makes me wonder if like how different community organizing and communion really is. Hmm. Or if they should maybe be even be considered like two sides of the same coin or something. But it also reminds me of what you guys talked about in our second podcast, The Watershed Way. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought so too. Right here in Taos, we've developed our own ver- version of this vision. You know, we're trying to live into this mm-hmm. same reality. Yeah, yeah. You know, a reality where everyone is able to have their own little something, hmm. you know, their own little enoughness, hmm. you know, and able to enjoy it without fear or want. Yeah, the watershed way is our own spin 2,700 years later hmm. about the way that the ancient prophet Micah was telling us to live, right? Yeah. To, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. It's, it's that totally visionary and totally practical way that we should live together, the hmm. way God wants us to live. Definitely. Yeah. That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. And the, the Till House, you've been living into this vision for a few years, but it it certainly disrupted your little cozy piece of heaven, right? 
That's also an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can say that. Yeah, yeah. the fire pretty much devastated us, Zach. Uh, our beloved community was torn. We, we had one cat that died. Hmm. No humans were hurt, but it, it ripped us apart. Definitely. And, and although it's a first world exile, we're still in exile. Mm-hmm. We haven't been able to come home for nine months. Right? Yeah. Not able to sit under our own roof, our own vine and fig tree. You know, but this exile's really, really taught me two things. Um, are you are you going to share those things with us? <laughs> oh, um, I guess. Sorry. Um, well, well, first. It, the first one is is a humbling one that our our suffering is special, but really it's not special, mm. right? Like Rhino said, humans have been suffering for centuries. They've been seeking shalom under far worse conditions than we ever experienced. Humans, mm. we've been trying to create peaceful kingdom to just touch it for a moment, but then it slips away for a time. We might attain a little piece of heaven only to have it have a bullet shatter it like us or a fire, mm-hmm. but but much worse, like a murderer silence it or chaos or war or a drought dry it up. You know, other yeah. people other people have suffered far more and yet dared to dream. And then there's a second thing I realized that Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all those other things will be added to unto you. And I realized he didn't say, once you've established the kingdom of God, all those things will be provided. Hmm. It's funny. I always thought that. But he said, while you are seeking the kingdom of God, those things will fall into place. Hmm. So that was my aha realization. Could it be that seeking God's kingdom is actually God's kingdom? Hmm. Instead of, say, you know, attaining and maintaining some ideal society for a period of time, that may not be the goal at all. God may not intend us to actually reach it or establish the peaceable kingdom as some static state for any length of time. Maybe God really is telling us to seek it, hmm. right? Hmm. Right? You know, when I look at my life, at our life together, you know, that makes sense. You know, I think about last summer. I was thinking about that too. Right? You know, when we're doing inefficient and time-consuming tasks totally all, all, all the time. You know, things like building structures out of repurposed plastic, weaving right. together a local food system, farming together side by side. Totally inefficient. Right? Picking apples from neglected orchards and turning them into sweet cider. You know, we didn't achieve all that much. <laughs> right? And the rest of the world was isolated. And divided during mm. COVID, but for me, all last summer, brother, mm. you know, it yeah. felt like we were tasting heaven. Mm. We called wow. it church. <laughs> we called it church a lot. Yeah, I think we learned that when we're in the midst of doing something well together, right? When, right? Strength, you know, creating a school together, building an adobe house together, growing food together, yeah. or if we're on a backpack or a river raft trip together, mm-hmm. when we're seeking a better world, that's when the kingdom swirls all around me. Right, mm. I can reach out, like Jesus says, the kingdom is is within reach. Like it's it's there and not there, but it's it's in the doing. It's not finding a static place. So it makes it makes me wonder. I think I've learned that heaven on earth is found in the seeking, in the process, in the building, in the growing, in the healing. 
not in the attaining and preserving of some static state, but in the doing of the thing. Hmm. We touch heaven on earth as we build it, I think. You know, and if that's true, then we've got a lot of pieces of heaven coming our way, brother. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot to do. <laughs> right? There's a lot. Yeah, we got to work cut out for us at Tilt. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So speaking of, of work to be done at Till, you know, we're coming to the end of our final podcast for the summer. Mm. And so I think I'd like to know, and I'm sure our listeners would really like to know, uh, what the status is. Mm. Yeah, that is what you originally wrote me about to start the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, where I stand now, even nine months after the fire, to be honest, to see Tilt Reborn still seems a little impossible. We, we've got a thousand square feet of adobe and timber and stone that's been demolished, Zach. Mm-hmm. The, the smoke and the soot has been cleaned, the adobe and timber have been removed, but no rebuilding has actually begun. Mm-hmm. We're stuck in the estimation and approval stage. So okay. huge tarps cover over open cavities where there used to be walls and floors and roofs. Like if you came down to look at it or if I sent you a picture, you wouldn't know where there used to be a kitchen or there used to be a dining room or a, a bedroom. It's just empty. Hmm. You know, the, the image that comes to my mind, if I can go back to the prophets just briefly, uh, Jeremiah uses this term um, when he's talking about the devastation that's been wrought on the land by the Babylonians, he uses this term, tohu vabohu, which is a Hebrew term that was first coined in the first chapter of Genesis, right? It's the, it's, we translate it as nothing, as emptiness and void. Um, it's the thing that existed before creation. God's spirit is hovering over the waters of the deep, and there where the earth was formless and void. Um, and so for God, there's like this period, there's a space where this emptiness comes right before the, the generation of good creation. And Jeremiah seems to have this sort of like double vision where something has been destroyed, something that once was is now laid waste and is desolate. But if you go back to the early creation story, that out of that nothingness, out of that formlessness and void, came a wonderfully beautiful new creation. I love what you said there about the formless and void, but that God's spirit was hovering like it's pregnant and waiting, right? And Definitely. that's what it feels like right now, this mm. formless void, but there's this pregnant waiting about to come forward. Mm. Mm. Definitely. So I think I'll conclude by going back to an article you wrote after the fire. You end it by writing, even after devastation, there is restoration. I have learned that all things are possible with God and with a community of beloved friends. I'll continue to seek God's kingdom together despite hardship. And then you tie in the words of the watershed way. And Rhino, I was wondering if you would close us with some of your favorite words. Sure, Zach. We of the watershed way will work for and delight in the kind of community that our creator wants us to have. A community in which we all have enough, healthy local food on all our plates, good water for all to drink, renewable energy for all to use, a safe roof over all of our heads, jobs with dignity, confidence in our hearts, trust in our handshakes, and peace in the land. For Tadimi and all our friends at Tilt, we will continue to dream of a time when Biden said no more, when each of us can sit under our own vine and fig tree, and no one, I mean no one will make us feel afraid, because that's what we're hardwired to do, because that's how God made us. 
going to read these quotes from Richard Rohr. Sooner or later, life is going to lead us into the belly of the beast, into a situation that we can't fix, can't control, and can't explain or understand. Hmm. That is where transformation most quickly happens. That's when we're uniquely in the hands of God. It's God's waiting room. Hmm. <laughs> Suffering is the only force strong enough to destabilize the imperial ego. The separate and sufficient self has to be led to the edge of its own resources until it learns to draw upon its deepest source. Various forms and times of suffering and love gradually move us forward to who we are in God and who God is in us. The genius of Jesus' teaching is that he reveals that God uses tragedy, suffering, pain, and betrayal and death itself not to wound us, but in fact to bring us to our larger identity. In John 12, 24, Jesus says, Unless the single grain of wheat loses its shell, it remains just a single grain. But the shell must first crack for the expanded growth to happen. Mm. In such a divine economy, everything can be transmuted. Everything can be used and nothing is wasted. Not even our mistakes. Mm. This is God's ultimate and merciful recycling process. For the past nine weeks, I've been filled with immense hope. I often leave my conversations with Rhino and Todd astounded at the alternate vision for our world that they have cultivated in Taos. And I desperately would like to cultivate an alternate vision for what our world could be in my own community. I hope you all, our listeners, feel the same impetus to offer an alternate vision in whatever place you call home, wherever you may be feeling naturalized to, wherever you feel like you would like to make your most sacred vows. This has been the Path to Restoration podcast. My name is Zach Martinez, and it has been a real gift to spend these last few weeks with you, and especially with Todd, who is the executive director of TILT, the Taos Initiative for Life Together, and Daniel Rhino Herrera, the High Priest of the Watershed Way. If you'd like to learn more about Tilt, you can visit their website at taustilt.org. There you can also support their ongoing work. I want to say thanks again to Ray Metzler, who wrote and performed the music for our podcasts. Thanks again, Ray. Once again, this has been the Path to Restoration podcast. I'm Zach Martinez, signing off for now.